when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, you could be seated, um, he was chastised and was told, you know, um, tell, your, tell your disciples to be quiet. And he was like, but if they're quiet, then the, the stones are going to cry out in praise. And how much better it is than we don't want rocks to be praising Jesus, although the whole creation does. We want our children to learn young to praise Jesus and to, and to help us learn to worship Jesus like a child as well. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be in the house with you today on this Palm Sunday. My name's Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and it's great to be here on Palm Sunday with you. You know, we've been singing about Hosanna, and Hosanna is one of those words, if you've been around the church a long time or even if you've just been around the church a short time, you know that there are certain words that we use in church that you never hear anywhere else. I don't know, when was the last time you said Hosanna? At the grocery store? Probably not. You know, when you're getting your hair cut? No, probably not. Um, So we use Hosanna on Palm Sunday in the church, and Hosanna is simply uh, a Greek word that's actually the combination of two Hebrew words. And um, it simply means, Lord, save us. And it's not so much a demand like, Lord, save us, but more like a word of praise, like, Lord, save us. It's like giving God honor and glory and praise as we, as we say these words, Hosanna. Because the Hebrew people trusted, they believed that God could and would save them. And so they were thankful Uh, You know, for such a short word, Hosanna, there's a lot of power behind it. Amen? And so why do we say this? Well, the kids of Anderson Hills, again, do a great job of demonstrating this. So let's let them teach us in this short video clip. Take a look. Because celebrating is fun. Easter. That's when Jesus came into Nazareth. To celebrate the arrival of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. As he was coming over for the Passover meal. When Jesus was sitting on his donkey. We wear bones because Jesus is coming. Because Jesus is our king and that's how we treat him. When Jesus rode in on a donkey, people started like peeling pine leaves off of trees and waving them because Jesus was like in their city. Because they thought he was the king? They thought that he was the Messiah. Aren't they awesome? Oh, they are so cute. We might want to fact check a couple of those answers that they had, but um, my goodness, they're pretty awesome. So we know that on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people were so excited because they believed that Jesus was going to save them. The only problem was they were looking for a different kind of Savior than Jesus turned out to be. You see, they were looking for someone who could overthrow the Roman occupiers, the the occupying force, the foreign power that was in charge of Israel at that time. They had seen all the miracles that Jesus could do, so they were sure that Jesus could accomplish this miracle and overthrow the world's greatest superpower at that time. And so on that Palm Sunday, they yelled, Lord, save us now, Hosanna, because they believed that Jesus could and he would save them. But just five days later, they yelled very different words 
they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. What in the world happened in those five short days? How could they change their tune so quickly? There are two things, actually. And the first thing is this, that the Jewish leaders decided to intervene. Because, frankly, they were being threatened by Jesus. Jesus was gaining in popularity and power, and they were scared of that. We can read about it in John chapter 12, verses 17 to 19, where it says, Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I mean, Jesus, just a short while ago, had raised Lazarus from the dead, and word was spreading around Jerusalem like wildfire. And it was bad news for the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders, too, because they viewed Jesus as a threat. And so the religious leaders schemed to get rid of Jesus through a late-night arrest and then a trial in the middle of the night and a quick crucifixion. The second thing is this. Jesus' Palm Sunday triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it just didn't lead to the results that the people were expecting. So Jesus has the leaders against him, and now the people are kind of turning to I mean, think about it. They're thinking to themselves, Jesus, you can do anything. Certainly, you can overthrow the Roman occupation around us. But Jesus' entry into Jerusalem may have begun to look like it had failed to them just a few days later. He wasn't doing anything about the Romans. He had come to do something very different. You see, Jesus entered the city in power, but not the kind of power that they expected. All these years later, we have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story, don't we? But those first people on that first Palm Sunday did not know the end of the story. The end of the story that Jesus came for a very different reason. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to defeat sin and death once and for all. I mean, talk about power. What a greater, powerful story that is. Overthrowing sin and death. Rome looked pretty small in comparison, but the people didn't see it that way. And so Jesus' entry into the city and his resurrection from the dead was an incredible display of God's presence and power, but the people don't see it yet. And so this begins to foreshadow a little bit for us our topic for today. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life in power, and we've been talking about the Spirit in this sermon series called Surrender. You see, when the Spirit comes in, it's a a joyful celebration of God's very real presence in our lives. 
And it's not a temporary event like Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's a permanent event when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside each and every believer in our hearts. Jesus talks about this in the upper room discourse that we've been reading through in the middle chapters of John's gospel. Today, Jesus talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit here at Anderson Hills. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. We see it every day all around us. You've heard us mention, I think, that just three weeks ago this weekend when we had our Holy Spirit conference here, we saw the Spirit moving all weekend and more than 50 people were, hurt, were healed of different infirmities that they brought. We hear about the break-free class that people have gone through, many people now, close to 100 people, that have broken chains that have held them bound for a long time. We know stories right here in our church of people that have been in the hospital given no chance of survival and have lived to tell the story, the Holy Spirit. Spirit is alive and at work in the lives of each and every believer here at this church. So many ways the Spirit is present. In fact, just after this sermon series ends next week on Easter, we're going to start a brand new sermon series. I'm really excited about it. It's called Holy Ghost Stories, and the Bible reading plans are available today. If you like print copies, you can pick one out at the guest services desk on your way out today. I like this uh, little fire here. It's like a campfire, Holy Ghost Stories. That's pretty awesome. But if you also, um, if you prefer to read it online, it'll be available right after Easter um, on our app and on our website as well. It's going to be great working through this uh, new sermon series together. So in our passage today, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate. And John's the only gospel writer, the only author that actually describes the Holy Spirit using that term. And so in these verses, our verses for today, the Holy Spirit sounds like a lawyer of sorts. I'm going to be reading beginning in John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief. Because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can no longer see me, and about judgment, 
because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, and he's but a few short hours away from his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, both between the Jewish religious authorities and then ultimately in front of Pontius Pilate. Now, these trials were a sham, a mockery, to be sure. They took place in the middle of the night, which was absolutely illegal to happen. It was against the law. And at these trials, people bore false witness. They lied about Jesus. They basically convicted Jesus of claiming equality for God. And let's face it, he had the legitimate right to do that, didn't he? He was the Son of God, God in the flesh. And when he was tried before Pilate, who didn't find any guilt in him whatsoever at all, Ultimately, Pilate decided to condemn him because he was afraid of the crowds. The Jews were starting to get in an uproar, and that could have been bad for Pilate. And so throughout these trials, Jesus has no lawyer, no advocate, no one to testify on his behalf, but rather against him. He spoke for himself and in spite of his innocence, he was condemned. And so in these verses, Jesus is basically telling us that his lawyer is going to come later. Jesus stood before a sham of a court trial here on earth. But the Holy Spirit is coming to reveal the truth, except this time the sinful world is on trial, not Jesus. And Jesus tells us that when the Spirit comes, he will do three things. One, he's going to convict the world of rejecting Jesus and failing to believe in him. Two, he's going to show the world God's righteousness. So the world was wrong to condemn Jesus. And ironically, Jesus had been condemned to death by the world, but Jesus was actually coming to save the world from the sins of the world. And the third thing, the Holy Spirit will show the world that God's judgment will come for those who follow Satan's way. I mean, there will come a day when each and every one of us will die. And when we die... We're not going to stand in front of a mirror facing our own reflection and judge ourselves based on us. I mean, we might like that to be the case, 
but that's not what scripture says happens. I mean, we tend to think we're always right, don't we? And if everyone would just behave more like us, everything would be okay, okay? That's our reflection. For those of you that are married, like I am, you probably know that better than anything else. Gosh, if she would just follow me, be more like me, we'd all be great. We know that's right. (laughs) We are not the standard. You are not the standard. I am not the standard. You see, when you and I do die, we will stand before God, the righteous judge, the only one who is qualified to judge our life based on its merits because God alone is righteous. God does not sin. Jesus set the standard. I fall far short of it. You fall far short of it. Jesus is the way that I am supposed to be and you are supposed to be. That is the reflection we're working towards as we work towards sanctification in our life. If you're here today or if you're joining us online today and you don't know Jesus, he's speaking to you today. He's talking to you today. He's convicting you of sin, not to make you feel guilty, not to raise up your shame, but so that you can find the hope that only Jesus Christ can offer. You know, when I think about it, it is really a gift of God's grace when we begin to feel the weight of our sin, when we begin to recognize our need for a Savior, when we realize how much we need Jesus in our life. That is a gift from God because it's only when we turn toward God, when we invite Jesus into our life to become our Lord and our Savior and to pattern our lives after him that he takes up residence in us and gives us the victory of his resurrection power. Now, that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy when Jesus becomes the Lord of our life. All we have to do is look at Scripture, and we know that wasn't true. The early church was pressed upon. They had it very difficult. They suffered for their faith in Jesus. You see, it's the presence of God and not the absence of trouble that makes our life worth living. It's knowing that God is always with us. You know, I'd rather live a life filled with pain and and suffering, knowing that God was with me, than to have a life that was carefree and easy but lived far apart from God. You see, you're never alone when you have the Holy Spirit within you. And we don't live according to our own standards. We live according to God's standards. And so when we hear God speak, we want to obey. When Jesus talks to us, we want to follow him. When the Spirit nudges us, we want to say yes. But that's not all. You see, the the advocate will be empowering believers no matter what they do. Um, In the same way that Jesus was present with those first disciples, the Holy Spirit is present with us, empowering us to do what he needs us to do. Remember, Jesus said these words, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak his own words. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive 
what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You see, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on a mission into our lives. Just like God the Father sent Jesus on a mission to give his life for us, God the Father also sends the Holy Spirit on a mission to live within us and to empower us to share the good news of Jesus' earth-shattering ministry in all the world. God absolutely knows that we can't possibly accomplish this mission on our own. We need help. We need power. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to do that exact thing for us. I think it's really interesting when Jesus tells the disciples that it's actually better for them if he leaves. Because if he does, he'll send the Spirit and we'll be filled with the Spirit's power. It's not to say that the Holy Spirit was new not on the scene for the first time when Jesus left, but, but because the Holy Spirit's, um, we see the Holy Spirit actually at work throughout the Old Testament. I mean, beginning in Genesis, we know that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep with God. We see the Spirit um, come alive and raise uh, dead bones to life in Ezekiel and throughout Scripture. But the Spirit comes in a special way after Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Spirit on Pentecost to fill those first disciples and in the same way to fill the disciples, you and me, with the Holy Spirit today. You see, the Spirit's power isn't going to be separate from believers. It's actually going to work in us and, and through us and, and be the, the engine that kind of drives us to, to do the ministry that the Spirit calls us to do. You know, every week when our pastoral team begins to write our sermons, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and fill us with the words that God so wants to share with all of us, including myself, but with all of God's people. It's like, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me this Sunday so that the words I speak aren't my words, but your words. Sometimes I still stand in amazement that God ever called me to preach his word some 23 years or so ago now. I remember when I started seminary, there were some friends that I met that absolutely felt this urgent call to preach the word. It was like God seemed to talk directly to them the way they told the story and said, I want you to go and preach my word. That wasn't my experience. I had other friends who had been serving as student pastors, or maybe they'd been lay speakers, and they'd been preaching for some time. I had never preached before I started seminary. And so I remember on my second semester of seminary when I took my first preaching class, I was so scared to get up in front of my class and speak a word to the people in my class. And the, the passage that I actually preached on that day was a Holy Spirit passage. It was that passage about the dry bones from Ezekiel. Um, I'll never forget that. In fact... If I'm honest, there's still a bit of trepidation each and every week when I preach. And I think that that's pretty healthy to have, actually. It's, there is a bit of fear and trepidation to think 
I'm going to be speaking to God's people, God's word. And so in my process, after I've done all my reading and preparation and I sit down to start writing, I always ask God to just get me out of the way, (laughs) to really just empty me as much as possible so that I can just be a vessel through which God can use me. I mean, I know that if I become less, then he is going to become more, and that's exactly what all of us as a preaching team are striving for. So when we walk into this room or the sanctuary on Sunday morning or Salem, we're saying, speak, Holy Spirit, because your people need to hear your voice, nothing more. I always think that one of the most interesting things happens after a sermon is preached. I can't tell you the number of times when I walk into a church on Sunday morning and I've, I've created a sermon that I think is like the best in the whole world. It's like, thank you, God, and it just seems to kind of fall flat. There are some Sundays where that happens. And then the opposite happens, too, where I've worked really hard and I've prepared and I've read and I've studied and I've written, and it's like, oh, I'm really sorry, Lord, but this feels kind of like a dud to me. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up, and it's like something happens, and and God's word becomes alive. I love when that happens. There are other times when I preached a message, and someone will come up to me afterwards and say, you know, Mark, that that word that you said, you know, whatever it is, such and such, really spoke to me. And I, I think... Did I say that? Was, was that in my message today? I don't remember saying that at all. And it's like the Holy Spirit uses maybe some off-the-cuff thing that I've said to be the exact word that that person, for whatever reason, needed to hear on that day. God is so good, and the Spirit is so good. So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to preach God's word. I don't mean to use those examples to say that That's the only people that God uses, that the Spirit uses. I mean, the Spirit empowers every single believer to do the ministry that he's called you and you and you and you to do. Whether that's hospitality or administration or or speaking the word or teaching or whatever it is. The Holy Spirit is going to use your spiritual gifts to speak and work and build God's kingdom. The question becomes, when the Spirit speaks to us, are we listening? And are we saying yes? You see, it's a posture of the heart, and it's not very easy to cultivate in our world today. I mean, there's never been a time in our world when there are so many voices and and things that are just bombarding us all the time. And so listening to the Holy Spirit can become hard. It's easy to, to tune out. It, it kind of be, reminds me of the, um, if you remember the old Charlie Brown cartoons where the teacher is talking and teaching the lesson, you know, wah, 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 that's right. That can really happen if we don't pay attention. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that. I have to confess that sometimes when I ask my wife, Marge, a question, I don't really do a very good job of listening to her answer or retaining the answer. Just a week or so ago, 
one evening, I said, what have you got on your calendar for tomorrow? What, what's your day look like tomorrow? And she said, I'm not even going to tell you tonight because you're going to ask me the same question tomorrow morning. Ouch. She was right, though. She was right, though. I'm going to give you a 10-second challenge today. Throughout this sermon series, we've had some put-it-into-practice um, things for each of us to do at the very front of our Bible reading plan. And today's put-it-into-practice is called the 10-second challenge. Here's what it looks like. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something, would you quickly, within 10 seconds, say yes? I mean, if God nudges you to speak a kind word to someone that looks like they're having a rough day and could really use it, would you do it? If God nudges you to to pray for someone that's going through a difficult time, would you do it right then and there with them? If you think there's someone that could use a helping hand from you, would you just say yes and do it with no questions asked? Now, a little disclaimer. I know there are some things that you don't want to say yes to in just 10 seconds. Like if you feel the Spirit is nudging you to uh, spend your child's college fund, you know, don't say yes to that in 10 seconds. Or if you feel like God is saying, uh, marry this young woman that you just met 10 seconds ago, you might want to actually get a little advice from your band or your small group or a trusted friend. But there are so many times that the Spirit nudges us to do something, and we should just do it. It's kind of like bouncing a ball on the floor. It's like God speaks, bounce, I catch it, and that's obedience. God speaks, let the ball drop, it bounces up, I catch it, and that is obedience. And you know what? It's like muscle reflexes, isn't it? Or, or trained reflexes. The more you do it, the more you're obedient and say yes, the easier it becomes for you to do that. So that when God speaks and the ball hits the floor, I catch it and it bounces up. And it becomes easier for me to listen, to hear, to say yes. Because when I don't catch it, what happens? It just falls to the floor again, and it bounces, and it eventually just becomes inert, and it lays there still. It's not that God has stopped speaking. It's just I've stopped listening. I've stopped obeying. One morning, a few years ago, Marge asked God in prayer, God, would you send someone into my life today that needs a helping hand? And so she prayed that prayer, and she went on about her day. And later on that afternoon, she was pumping gas at a gas station. And this um, older couple came walking up to the gas station. And they approached her, and they said that their car had run out of gas about a mile or so down the road. And could she help them? And so um, she helped them get a gas can, and she put some gas in the can. And then this strange couple asked her, will you drive us back to our car? And then suddenly that apprehension is like, I don't know these people. They're strangers to me. Is there some ulterior motive? Um, Are they going to hurt me or rob me or whatever? But suddenly she remembered that prayer that she had prayed in the morning. And she said, yes, 
I will take you to the car. So they got in her van and sat in that middle van seat, and they started off down the road. And just about as they approached her car, she happened to look up in the rearview mirror, and this couple was sitting there clutching each other in fear. They were as afraid of her as a stranger as she was of them. But you know what? She had prayed to God. God spoke to her. She trusted God, and she obeyed. What does it look like for you when the Holy Spirit speaks to you? What does it sound like to you when the Spirit speaks? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. What would you like to ask the Spirit today? Holy Spirit, here we are your people, waiting for you to speak a word to us. Holy Spirit, what would you have us do to say yes to? What thing, simple as it might be, could I do for you today to make a difference in someone else's life? to build the kingdom in a little more fullness here on earth like it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Even in this very moment. And Spirit, we say yes. We say yes to you. Come and rest on your people. Come and fill us anew with a fresh word from you. And we will obey. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God.